This is Steel's Real Life, the podcast about real outdoor people with your host, Joe Thomas. Real Life with Joe Thomas is presented by Steel, maker of a full line of gasoline and battery handheld outdoor power equipment. Find yours at SteelUSA.com. Hey, I'm Joe Thomas, and we're here ready to kick off another all-new episode in a new year of Steel's Real Life. And as always, I've got my good buddy and my world-renowned outdoor producer, a hero in his own mind, Jim Kramer. Jim, what's up, buddy? Hey, man, new year, new attitude, 2021 is here. And Joe, this is that time of year, and I know you're like me when you start thinking about springtime, getting back outside, doing a little fishing, doing a little playing in the woods. Now, for those people who don't experience winters like we do here in Ohio, maybe that's not a big deal, but for me it is. And that's why I'm pretty excited today to talk with our guest, Mr. Buzz Ramsey. I want you to tell us a little bit about him, Joe. Well, I can tell you, Buzz Ramsey is a true legend. It seems like every week we have a true legend. We've been fortunate to have some great ones. But Buzz, in the the cold water fisheries, he is the man and has been the man— forever and so often you know because of what we do both in in our in our competition fishing series and 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 my background as a pro we gravitate towards the bass guys but this guy i mean he is the kevin van dam the rick clun of salmon and steelhead fishing and i am so happy to have him here today and i can't wait to hear what he's got to tell us about his life so my man buzz ramsey how are you today oh i'm good joe (laughs) What's uh, what's the weather? I mean, I, I know you're on the West Coast. Uh, we got you out of bed a little bit early for this thing, but what's the weather like out there right now this time of year? Well, you know, we get these storm fronts that come rolling in, and of course they go right across the nation, so you feel them too. But uh, we just had a big rain event, a big freshet, if you will, uh, and where the rain just poured down. In fact, I think in some areas it got like four or five inches. And so all the rivers, you know, it's steelhead season, so all the rivers are up really high right now at near or above flood stage but they're dropping fast because the spigot is now shut off and so in fact i'm going to head down to the coast tomorrow down to the oregon coast and um and chase steelhead for three or four days down there because when the when these rivers rise and they get high and muddy and then they begin to drop the steelhead really migrate in and uh, and when they first drop into fishable condition the water goes from brown to green uh, is when they bite the best. They're the most numerous, and they bite the best. So uh, so I'm going to try to hit that dead on. <laughs> yeah, and I can always tell when they're biting because I'm starting to, I am start to see you. You know, I follow you on Instagram and Facebook and all that, and I, I see your pictures pop, pop up, and I'm always jealous. You know, I, I've only had a chance to fish with you out there one time. I know a few years ago we did a show, and it was still one of my favorites. But uh, Jim and I are always looking at the pictures and going, man, we need to, we need to make a trip west. I, I, I'm free right now i mean uh, where can we meet where, where, where can we meet you buzz I, it sounds awesome to me yeah and you know I, yeah, yeah. I i mentioned before buzz you know so so many times we get caught up in our own little world of bass fishing because that was my history and and what what we we do with the tv shows but um we love when we get a chance to step away and do something like we did with you and fish for salmon or fish for steelhead or something like that and um uh, like I said in the opening, we you are the Rick Clun, the Kevin Van Dam of that game, and so we we're honored to have you. But uh, everybody's always wondering how does a guy, a guy from Toledo, Oregon, you know, born and raised pretty much on the West Coast, but how do you 
get to where you are, but you know, as far as in the fishing industry, but I'd like to even go back a little further. I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about your, your upbringing and uh, really just a little bit about what made you fall in love with, with cold water fishing and, and hunting and the outdoors. Well, probably like a lot of people out there, uh, I was from a young age, I was fascinated by fish and fishing. And I'm not really sure why, uh, you know, maybe, you know, I think some of that, whether it's fish or, or, you know, if you get into hunting or, or whatever, some of that is kind of ingrained in, in us humans, I think. And, uh, but I was always really fascinated with fishing. Although when I was young, I didn't get to do much of it because my stepdad didn't fish. And so I was dreaming about it, preparing for it and all that, but I never really got to go much. I mean, my, I, my first fishing adventure, believe it or not, my mom took me to a trout farm and I caught, you know, hatchery trout out of the hatchery pond that you, you know, pay for. Yeah. And <laughs> that was my first, first deal. And then of course I wanted to go I wanted to go, when I got a little older, I wanted to go salmon fishing. And so my mom took me down to, we made a trip down the coast, and we went on a charter boat out of Depot Bay, one of the famous ports on the Oregon coast. And we went out, and uh, I caught a couple salmon, caught my first two salmon. And uh, and then, of course, I knew there was salmon and steelhead going up to Columbia. So my mother took me down to, uh, to a sporting goods store called, at the time, G.I. Joe's, and uh, asked the guy there at the counter, you know, what I needed to catch salmon out of the Columbia. Little did I know that I would later go to work for that guy. <laughs> <laughs> that but, sounds but, so but, familiar <laughs> to my, my history. Yeah. Wow, I got gotcha. you. <clears throat> yeah, so, so anyway, he sold us a few of the things we needed, and my mom took me out on the Columbia, uh, out to a place, dropped me off. You know, I was like 13 or 14, dropped me off. And I threw out into the Columbia with a spin glow lure, you know, a, a buoyant spinner, if you will. I had a sinker and a leader, you know, 30 inches long or so. And uh, I caught my first salmon. Wow. And um, and so uh, that that really, went, you know, got my appetite going. And uh, so I would bar what they call that bar fishing when you go out and just plunk off the sandbars in the Columbia for my, you know, a spin glow for migrating salmon. And uh, And, of course, as I got a little... Year, a few years went by, uh, I knew that there were fish in the tributary streams, you know, around Portland and everywhere. I started fishing the rivers for steelhead, but I didn't know what I was doing because I didn't have a teacher. I didn't have a mentor, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, so finally, I mean, I, my mom was great. She really supported this, took me out and dropped me off all kinds of places and where I would go fishing. But when it came to tributary steelhead, winter steelhead, I couldn't figure out the game. And the deal is, and I know you've done this, Joe, you, you, the technique that was used at that time was one called drift fishing, mm -hmm. where you've got a, you know, a, a maybe an eight and a half, nine foot rod and a spinning or a bait casting reel. And you cast out across and upstream with a sinker. Pencil weight is a popular one. There are others. And a leader, you know, 24, maybe 30 inches long and maybe a little corky or a, or a spin glow or a bait of eggs or some other kind of bait, and you let your outfit drift along, bouncing the bottom. And then when your drift is complete, you reel in and cast again. Drift fishing is actually a series of cast drifts and retrieves. But the deal is they don't yank on it. All they do is stop your outfit as it drifts along. So if it stops, pauses, hesitates, does anything different, you yank back to set the hook. And if you don't, they let go. 
So they only hang on to it momentarily. And actually, when they feel that, you know, that line, the sinker goes past the fish because their baits come downstream first and it pulls against them and they just feel that restraint, open their mouth and let the current push them backwards and they drop your outfit. So unless you set the hook, you don't get them. And I know there were literally hundreds of times when I got bit. (laughs) I didn't know I was supposed to yank. (laughs) Absolutely. It's like me learning to fish a plastic (laughs) worm. I I can remember that. Yeah. It's not moving. What do I do? Yeah. Yeah. So, but finally, uh, once whole season went by, I didn't catch one. And the next year I got out there and I knew I was doing something wrong, really big time wrong. And, uh, and I caught one early in the season. And, um, and then I started catching them a lot. I mean, like big time. And I got a driver's license then. And so I started going crazy, catching steelhead on every river within a few hours driving distance and was really racking them up. <laughs> I have seen some of the, I actually enjoy the old photos that you have posted. It just, it kind of gives, gives me a feel not only of the day, you know, with the clothes and the, and all the different things and the hairdos and all that, but it gives me an idea of how many places that you fished buzz. I mean, I, I, I look at the, the, you know, the, the photos and you did a, a cool job of documenting it, but um, it, I think it does go back to just, and I, I had this in, in, in my life, actually, in my career. My mom and dad, you know, they really weren't fishermen, uh, but they were very supportive. And my mom would do the same, drop me off at farm ponds and drop me off at rivers. And and her friends were telling her I was crazy and I was going to get kidnapped. But she, she, <laughs> she, she kept hoping I, and she kept hoping I would. <laughs> but, yeah, you guys, I think maybe your moms are dropping you off for a different reason than but, what you might but, think. But, but you know thumbs what? Thumbs up to moms, the, really. The, I think the driver's license was... was, was 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 huge for me as well and it's funny how they're parallel we're on different ends of the of the country uh, fishing for different things but i think that if you've got that that a little bit of uh, help uh with the way our parents were and then you have that uh burning desire which i i still don't know why i love to catch bass so much i think that you just you learn and largely you were self-taught then right oh absolutely yeah yeah you know i'd watch other people and talk to him of course you know i mean i'm pretty friendly when it comes to approaching people but there was nobody there that really ever took me under their wing and showed me how i just kind of had to learn by myself i was out there a lot of people were out there then i mean steelhead fishing is a popular sport i mean it's a big deal out out in the west right. but uh but i think one of the things that during that time frame i mean i was so overboard i mean i was Maybe like, maybe not unlike a lot of young people and their enthusiasm for a particular sport, but I was heads over heels into fishing. I mean, my head was into it so bad. If I, if, if through all the rivers were rained out, this is back when I was like 17, 18, you know, if all the rivers were rained out and I could go, there was no place to go fishing on a weekend, I didn't know what to do. I, I mean, I'd bury my head in a pillow. <laughs> I was just, oh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I just couldn't hardly stand it. And, if, and you know, with, with days, of course, in the summer, days are longer. In the winter, they're pretty short. But if I could drive somewhere for an hour to fish for an hour in the evening, I'd do it. Yeah. I mean, I just, I was just hooked beyond, beyond hooked. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, there had to be a time, a time, you know, as you're getting a little bit older and I went through this too, you start to realize that you've got this passion that you love so much, but you also got to make a living. 
and and that's when it starts to get it got very tricky for me you know and i had a i had a brief career at united parcel service as a as a loader and as a sorter and you you do what you got to do to feed your habit Uh, i'm guessing you probably had to go through some of that as well didn't you yeah and of course the first thing i did when i was still in high school is i went to work at a sporting goods store part-time in uh, a store called gi joe's where where I'd first learned how to rig up and plunk on the Columbia for salmon. And and I went to work there part-time. And, of course, that you work retail, sporting goods. I mean, every angler that walks in is comes over and tells you their story, brags about what they what they did or didn't do, you know, yeah. <laughs> mostly what they did do. Right. <laughs> and, and you help them in the store, you know, pick out a rod or a reel or whatever it might be. And so it really connects you with a wealth of information about where – where it's happening, when it's happening, you know, uh, and so I learned that, that long, you know, of course I was already way into it, but that, that helped launch me in direction because at the time there wasn't really a roadmap to all these different seasons. You know, you got winter steelhead, you got summer steelhead, uh, you got rivers that have those and don't. And, and then you've got, you know, the migration of the, you know, spring Chinook going up the Columbia, summer Chinook, fall Chinook, coho salmon. I mean, you know, all this stuff. And, where it's happening when is kind of you know if you don't know it's kind of it's kind of hard to figure out but I quickly figured all that out and and that helped a lot and I think because I struggled so much figuring out how to drift fish put me in a place where I really wanted to help my fellow angler so I you know when I was 19 I was teaching fishing classes at Portland Community College and doing seminars wow and uh, and but. I did a detour after I got a high, a high school. I got to mention, I got I when I went to high school, I went to a trade school, and I majored in sheet metal. And so when I graduated, I got into the sheet metal trade, and I worked there for four years as a sheet metal worker. Went through my apprenticeship program, and then I turned out and I worked three years as a journeyman. And the last year I was there in sheet metal, the sheet metal shop, I. I was 24 years old. I had I was foreman of the swing shift, and I had 16 guys working for me, all of course to support the fishing habit. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, and but then go ahead, go ahead. Well, I just said, and and then there's got to be that moment. You know, I, I I look at at your at your path. There had to be that moment that you you wanted to take that passion and turn it into your job because I know I did. I mean that, and that's a got to be a pivotal moment. I mean, I did a lot of gut check in there because, you know, my parents were pushing pretty hard for either a veterinary degree or even at least to be a driver at UPS, something stable, you know what I mean? And and yeah. I, I didn't go that way. What <clears throat> moment was it that you finally decided to to break loose and, and, and dive full, head, head full, uh, full tilt into the, the fishing industry? <laughs> well, that's pretty interesting. Um, well, I think, you know, part of Part, you know, I, I kind of began to develop a name for myself, because, and some of that was because I was really involved in the fishing thing, and I got to know a lot of people. And uh, but I think part of it also was my unique name, Buzz Ramsey. I mean, that is a name you kind of remember. Yes. And I think because of that, and because I started feeding magazines and newspapers uh, success photos, I got. You know, I got to where I had a little, I had a pretty big network of people that I kept in contact with. And one of those people was a fellow that worked for Lure Jensen, the fishing tackle company in Hood River, Oregon, you know, 60 miles east of Portland, right on the Columbia. And unknown to me, when he uh, left that position uh, there, 
because he was their kind of marketing promotion guy. He recommended that they hire me. Wow. I don't know why, wow. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, one of those deals. And uh, they didn't call me right away. About a year went by and then they called me. And of course, this is when I was, I was, it was in the fall of 74. So I was 24 years old then. They called me and I, and I went up and talked to him and everything. I mean, gee, I got the chance. <laughs> I've often joked about this. I got a chance to take a 50% pay cut and go to work for a fishing <laughs> company. And yep. I jumped on it. <laughs> like a fumble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so there I was. I was, in fact, the first to get to, get to know people in the industry. The first, one of the first things I did was, uh, you know, the company had a jet boat, a, a power boat, if you will. You know, out here in the West, the rivers, When if you're navigating the rivers, the, the small, uh, medium-sized rivers are generally to access them. You can access them from the bank, of course, but uh, drift boats have been designed to drift the rivers and, and everything, a unique style, and they use them in the Great Lakes, too. But uh, they have jet boats, too, and so on the bigger rivers, you can run a power boat, and those don't usually have a propeller below them. They've got a jet pump to so you don't hit the rocks when you're going through the shallow riffles. And so they had a jet boat. So I thought, Ooh, great. I got ex- I got, I get to manage this jet boat. <laughs> that's a perk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Company perk. jet and, boat. And, yeah. 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 The company jet boat. And so, uh, one of the first things I did, I, I, uh, arranged to, to take buyers and outdoor writers and editors and, you know, key opinion leaders fishing on the Cowlitz river in Southwest Washington. And I did what I called a winter steelhead promotion where I spent, I don't know, two or three weeks taking people fishing every day. Wow. And of course I get to, I got to fish too, cause I'm not really guiding, although I'm, you know, I'm trying to get them into fish. Sure. And, uh, and so I did that and I got to know a lot of people in, within the industry, you know, nothing like spending a day out in the water. Yeah. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like golf in the business world. You know what I mean? If you've got the right people, especially those buyers and, and outdoor riders, you can influence a lot of people with a big steelhead or salmon for sure. Well, yeah. And, and it, you, those, re, you know, it's about the relationships, of course. And so uh, those people, once they're your friend and you spend a day on the water with them, you get to know them better than, than just visiting their office or calling them on the phone. And so that really helped, helped, uh, not only leverage the business side of it, but, but also the promotion side of it. You know, I mean, I can remember back in those days, you know, there was no internet. I mean, I'd go fishing on a, you know, take somebody fishing, whether it was on a weekend or through one of these promotion, these promotions. And I mean, I would, I would uh, take photos, film 35 millimeter film photos, and I'd put the film on a, I'd make notes about who was in the photos, the fishing success photos, and I would put those on a bus and send them up to Seattle to Fishing and Hunting News at the time, a fishing newspaper that was distributed throughout the the West, Northwest. And uh, and of course they would they were dying for fresh, good quality success photos from a reliable source. And so I'd get press all over the place from that. And uh, and that was a big part of my my uh, not, not only my success, but of course I was. I was, uh, you know, promoting the products uh, for the company I worked for. So, so that was a big deal getting photos around the, around the, not only the Northwest, but really nationally as time went on, uh, to show off the big salmon and, and steelhead and this end of the industry. 
That was the original social media buzz. <laughs> it was. I mean, you were putting photos on a bus. I yeah. love that. I yeah. I just love that. That's what I admire in in in, in you and your career. And you, you know, again, I, I kind of relate to the bass guys. You didn't have the the high profile bass master tour and the bass tournaments, but yet you're in an, in a a part of the country where people live and 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 breathe you know, cold water fishing, salmon and steelhead and trout. And, and you, you literally elevated yourself to the top of that world. And, and, and it, and it wasn't just like, uh, you know, an outdoor writer who's writing articles and telling somebody else's story. You lived it every day. You learned it, you taught it. And, and I think that that's, that's gotta be pretty gratifying as you kind of look back on your career, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, you know, there were a few fishing heroes before I came on the scene. You know, there was, uh, you probably don't remember any of these, these uh, people, but there was a guy by the name of Jim Conway that had a fishing show. And, and there were a few people that kind of emerged as, as leaders in the, in the tackle or the fishery out here. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I, I was, I guess, lucky, positioned in a right place working for a fishing tackle company, of course, is an advantage. And, you know, wanting to promote the sport, you know, draw people in. I mean, when fishing's good, that's when people get involved. They want to catch them. They want to live the dream, too. And, right. and of course, they need everything. Not only not only lures that I was promoting, but they needed rods, reels, fishing line, boats. I mean, I, I remember, I, remember uh, I was – a friend of mine ran into a, a, a co-worker, ran into a guy on the riverbank fishing. This was, you know, I don't know number you know not not at the beginning of my career but as i got really into it and they're fishing on the sandy river and they're talking back and forth and the 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 angler there he realizes that my friend works for lure jensen right at the time and and he says oh gee you know buzz ramsey he goes yeah i work with him i mean i know him yeah and the guy goes and he goes do you do you know him and my coworker says do you know him and uh, and the guy says, well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I met him. I, I, you know, I was down on the on the Wilson River and I was fishing. And he came along and and had an empty spot in his boat and invited me to go drift the river with him. Wow! And we wow. caught steelhead left and right. <laughs> Gee whiz, we had a great day, best fishing day I ever had. He goes. I had to buy a drift boat and all these rods and reels and a pickup to tow it with, and and I got a divorce. And got rid of my wife. I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. I, I know Buzz Ramsey. <laughs> Thank you, Buzz. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, Joe, winter doesn't really seem like the best time to work in your yard, but right now is is when you should be prepping your your lawn and your landscaping for the uh, spring growing season, right? Yeah, Jim. I mean, that's true. Winter is actually when I plan to clean up those last leaves that fell in my yard. The, the big thing is you don't want them to smother and kill your grass. I mean, most people realize that. Plus, the best time of the year to trim back shrubs and branches is is the winter time, especially if you've had a couple of storms, which we've had a lot of those this year that may have damaged your trees. So my steel saws and my blower are getting plenty of use even in the winter. And it's also really the perfect time to clean up and maintain your steel gear, both gasoline or battery power to make sure they're ready to go when spring rolls around, right? That's right. And of course, you can check out the full line of steel, gasoline, and battery handheld power equipment online, and it'll be ready for a fast and safe pickup at your local steel dealer. And with over nine 
thousand independent steel dealers nationwide. I can pretty much guarantee you there's going to be one close to you. I guarantee you that. And it's easy to find out. Just head to SteelUSA.com to find your local steel dealer to get your yard and landscape ready for the spring. It's one thing to go out and do it. It's one thing to take somebody fishing and show it to them. But you've been a very prolific uh, writer, lure designer. I mean, you've taken it to the next level uh, all the way along. Uh, How difficult was that? Well, considering that English was my worst subject in school. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God for spell check, right? That's right. Yeah. 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 I tell you, that really unleashed me. I mean, I wrote a few articles. I remember even the first year I worked for Jensen. I mean, I started writing a few articles for magazines, and thank God I had a good editor, you know. But as time went on, I, I wrote more and more of them. One of the things that you're involved with when you work for a tackle company and especially in my position, you know, is you get a lot of, at least at that time, you get a lot of consumer mail. How do you do this? How do you do that? How do you know, how do you do all this stuff? And of course I was way into that. That's where my head was into all these different fishing methods and everything. I mean, after all, if you work for a fishing tackle company, you're trying to perpetuate the techniques that the products uh, are used for. Right. And so for example, if nobody trolled for trout, you probably wouldn't sell many lake trolls right. or little right. spoons or plugs. Um, if if nobody drift fished for steelhead, you probably wouldn't sell a lot of corky drifters and, and things like that that they use, you know, a single leg imitation uh, for steelhead. If, if nobody uh, casted spinners, you probably wouldn't sell a lot of them. And so if you can perpetuate technique, you can perpetuate the future of your business. And so I got tired of answering all these all these. Uh, letters you know they were in letter form then mail snail mail (laughs) and uh so so i partnered with a friend of mine who is a better writer than me that went to work for the company and uh and we wrote i i had between us either he knew more about because he fished too either he knew about it or i knew about it you know we'd kind of kind of go back and forth and two heads are better than one and we wrote a series of what we call tech reports there were little fold-up fishing pamphlets that talked about technique how to drift fish for steelhead how to cast spinners how to you know whatever 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 we had like i think the first grouping of these we did in the like in the first year or two we had 24 different titles you know how to troll how to troll the great lakes for salmon you know because i was involved there in the great lakes market too so we did those and we distributed we had our own print shop when I was at Lure Jensen, and, and we we could print those things at the time for less than a penny a piece. I remember seeing you know, them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we distributed millions of those. In fact, a lot of the stores would make space right within the the display, the lure display. They they dedicate a peg. We had them hole punched, and they dedicated a peg where you could just hang those up. And so, if a person was picking out product, they could pick out a a, a little sheet on how to how to uh, how to how to use it? How to be successful? A roadmap to success, if you will. Right. And uh, those were a huge hit. And when I look back at my career, I think that was one of the one of the big things that helped anglers find success. And if they find success, they're going to do it again. That was one of the things that we did. <laughs> well, you know, I I scan your bio, and it's 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 very interesting. I love looking at the photos. But the one thing that that jumped off the page at me, and I had to ask you about it today, is. Uh, you, you were one of the first, if not the first, uh, American angler to visit the Soviet Union. I think you were in there like like 1989, okay? Yeah. And yep. I just wanted to hear 
Uh, I've I've always dreamed about either hunting or fishing in Russia or what was the Soviet Union. I, I, what was that like, and how did that transpire? Well, one of the fishing retailers out here was a, a fellow by the name of Larry Schoenborn. He's not with us anymore, but he had uh, sporting goods stores. He owned several sporting goods stores, and Larry loved to fish, of course. And he started a fishing show called Fishing in the West. Uh, you might even remember that. I did. And yeah, and and Larry, of course, he he uh, he started these shows. I remember we went to the first showing, and it was Larry loved it because it was all about fish. But it, the quality was yeah, not the greatest. But he got pretty good at it. I mean, they, his team got pretty good at filming shows and uh, good, you know, better quality fishing shows. And Larry had an edge up on a lot of the other show producers because Larry could take product and trade, and then he would turn that into cash through his store. Smart, yeah. And yeah, and he started doing shows at first around the Northwest, and then Larry started fishing worldwide. He loved to fish so much, he, he started fishing worldwide. In fact, there was a time there where he was, maybe he's, he, he was, I mean, I don't know anybody that fished more around the world than Larry Schoenborn did. And he made connection to, and I've been on the sh a number of shows with him as a guest. You know, he, we, I'd take him fishing and we'd film our show or film the, the adventure. And in fact, he even had me host a few shows, on, on, you know, on his behalf. Um, but anyway, he got an opportunity to get into Russia real early when it first opened up, Eastern Russia. And, and he called me to see if, uh, you know, I wanted to go with him. And of course I jumped at that chance. And, uh, so we, like I say, this is in 1989 and, and we, we flew to Eastern Russia, uh, you know, stopped off in, I think Japan for a night and then, uh, then hopped over into the Soviet Union and, uh, on the Eastern side. And we stayed in a, a city called Habarsk. Uh, that's right on the Amur River that borders the Soviet Union and China, and uh, and then and we would stay with Russian families. We were hosted. Of course, they didn't they didn't speak English. We didn't speak Russian. Right. right. <laughs> so so that was interesting in itself. And that was a side of the story that was never really told because we just did fishing shows. But uh, then we would go out on these three, four, five day adventures. From there, uh, we'd fly out in some of these Russian helicopters. You know, the big orange guys. I do. <laughs> They looked like they were from World War II vintage, and we would go to these rivers, and they would drop us off, and we'd drift them, and and uh, you know, just I think we filmed five shows over there, and uh, and that was uh, that was quite an adventure to be able to go over there. We even we even uh, at one point we went over to Sakhalin Island, which is part of the island chain that is north of Japan. In fact, we went to the south tip of the island. We didn't get a show there. We got rained out big time. But we could see the lights from the northern tip of Japan from there, wow. way far away oh, on a clear, not clear evening. Yeah. And uh, and uh, we went out there, and, and I remember we were driving along in this kind of carry-all type vehicle that had, you know, all of us were in there, the cameraman, all our gear, everything. And we're driving along, and and one of the one of the guys with me says, "What what are those? What are those things?" And 
He said, are those duck blinds? And then somebody goes, no, those are bunkers. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, my Could gosh. be repurposed. I yeah. mean, you know, technically. I, I can only imagine you're on the border of Russia and China in 1989. I, I'm just sitting here. I'm, la- I'm, I'm actually smiling while I'm talking to you because I'm looking at this picture of you. You're all smiles with this 80-pound, uh, I don't really know how to say it. Is it a taiman or taiman? Some giant. Yeah, taiman. Tra- trout looking fish uh and uh i just it just looks like an amazing adventure uh you got your signature cowboy hat on and it just uh, you know it just looks like an amazing thing yeah so you actually were able to to with your friends blaze some some trails and to do some things that had had not been done and i just find that to be fascinating and you know i know some of the things that i've gotten to do i look back you know and, and at the time it, it wasn't so much about the hunting or the fishing. It was about the people you got to meet. And it sounds like you had to have a pretty interesting experience there with the Russian people. It really was. You know, we I, I, some of the things I remember were we flew in. They flew us by helicopter into a native village kind of up north, kind of like what a, maybe a Alaskan village would be like, you know, way before our actual trip to Russia. I mean, a native village where they had... I mean, we would they would land these helicopters. And all the villagers would come out. They knew we were coming, you know, mm-hmm. and all the villagers would come out. And the little boys and girls were all dressed up. A lot of people were dressed up in suits or whatever. And the, the little boys and girls would have bouquets of flowers for us. Yeah. And we were treated like heroes. It's a, we were the first Americans they'd ever seen. Yeah. And. Yeah. And uh, and it was just mind blowing that you know they would greet us that in such a way. And I really found that the Russian people, even despite the language barrier, they were just like us. They really were. I mean, they were they were friendly. They were they were just uh, they were great. Of course, we had an interpreter with us, and and so we could you know talk to them, have you know at least basic conversations and stuff. They were really fascinated with our fishing gear. Because uh, they were just using a literally a long willow with a string tied to the end, with a with a piece of wood for a float, and maybe a leader and a couple split shot and some kind of bait, and they would and these were long poles. They would be you know maybe 15 feet long, and they'd flop it out in the river current, and they would kind of follow it along with a rod tip, and then they'd flip it out again. We'd walk up with a spinning or bait casting reel and throw it out there. 50 <laughs> or 100 <laughs> yards, and they would just do a double take. I mean, it was like, whoa, I bet. what is that? <laughs> you know, uh, some some of the areas we fished, they, they had at least seen, you know, modern equipment, but most places had not. And uh, and they this was before, you've got to remember, this was before there was, you know, there, there hadn't been a lot of Americans in there, or very few, and in some of these areas, none. And I remember I had uh, I wanted this guy's rod and reel, Russian rod and reel. It was kind of a, a single action reel, pretty big, maybe five six inches, and in, you know the spool diameter was kind of like a fly reel, but it had heavy monofilament on it, maybe like fifty pound test. And it was a fiberglass rod, and it had been broken off, so it was only about two feet long. And I wanted it, it fit in his helicopter, nice, you know. I think that's what he was thinking. And and I wanted it, and I gave him a five dollar bill. He didn't even know what it was. I mean, he oh, looked at it like, my gosh. well, he would take it, but he wasn't sure. And I gave him a hat. Well, he wanted that, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, so it was, uh, it was really interesting. I mean, but I, I guess the other thing that struck me over there was that there was political 
billboards up in every little town we went to pretty much, you know, and I don't know what it said. It was a bunch of Russian language, but, but, uh, that was, you know, government or propaganda type stuff, you know, political stuff. And, and, uh, but the people were pretty free to do about whatever they wanted. Just don't mess with the party. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't yeah. mess with the political party. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We kind of yeah. know how that is yeah. these days, don't we? <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, one of the yeah. things that 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 uh, I find also pretty interesting, I as I look over your career, you know, and we you we and I go all the way back to the Lure Jensen days. I remember that you were your your company was starting to build bass lures, and and I was a young guy on the tournament trail, and and uh, we got to work together uh, on some projects there, and and then more recently, you know, the last several years, we, you and I have been working together at Yakima Bait Company. Uh, I've been working with uh, uh, you. Helped me design a signature line of of you know kind of an upgraded rooster tail that that's really been become very popular in the bass market. I got it. I just got to know what's left for Buzz Ramsey. I mean, you have done, I, you know, I, I knew a lot, but the more I dive into your bio and I listen to your stories, you know, you've, you've lived five lifetimes and you're still in great shape. You know, you're a relatively young guy. What's, what's in the future for you? I mean, you, you know, I know you still love to fish as much as you ever did. Oh yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting. I'm kind of, you know, I'm I'm at another crossroads. I guess is is maybe as big or bigger than when I was 24 and you know left my sheet metal job to go to work for a fishing tackle company. Right. Um, because I'm not really sure what the future holds. You know, I've uh, my career at at Yakima Bait uh, is at least my full time career is over, and and even my uh, relationship i've had a long relationship with berkeley pure fishing you know abu garcia right. some of the some of the pure fishing brands and that relationship at least right now is is uh, is over so i've got a clean slate i mean the only thing on my docket right now besides fishing and hunting <laughs> yeah. is uh is to continue writing doing some you know i, I write a regular column for a, a, a magazine out here called northwest sportsman and i'll probably do some other freelance stuff but of course writing is one of the harder things to do and it doesn't pay but peanuts, you know, really. I'm and aware. So, yep. <laughs> yeah, but but it, you know, I get a lot of rewards out of that. I like doing it. And and so I'm going to continue to do that. It keeps me in the game, you know. And But as far as what I'm going to do, I'm not really sure. I would like to make some, I'd like to make some income, you know. Um, Social Security doesn't go very far. <laughs> and so... <laughs> So I'm, uh, I'm, that's the big question right now is, am I going to jump into something? You know, I'm not looking for full time, I'm, but I, there may be some opportunities for me to work with a, a, a factory, uh, you know, with maybe lure design, maybe, maybe in the fish and rod side of things, maybe, uh, maybe just activation, you know, a lot of, and you know, this Joe, a lot of companies, they'll advertise with a, with a, a TV show, a magazine, a whatever, whatever, some kind of, you know, various vehicles out there and they'll advertise with it. But a lot of companies, they they got an advertising budget, they advertise, but they don't really activate it. They don't really, you know, I mean, if you're, if you're going to like with you, yep. your, your TV show, Yakima Bay, yeah, Yakima Bay sponsors your show and stuff, but we've got a Joe Thomas spinner mm-hmm. and you've helped us promote a lot of our products. A lot of, I should got to quit saying our, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of Yakima Bay products and, and, and that it has real value, and and you've done some shows with some of our some of our people we have relationships with, 
and we'll probably do more in the future. And so activating that that's called activation. You know, you're you're getting full benefit of the dollars you're spent in that vehicle. Whether it's a, if you advertise with a magazine, if you're a lure manufacturer or any manufacturer and you advertise with a magazine, well, that's fine. But, uh, but it'd be good to work with their writers or their editors. It'd be good to submit stories or photos. Uh, if you go to a sports show, you can go to a sports show and have a booth. But if you're really going to maximize your exposure, you got to do seminars. You got to have people you have relationships with, uh, pro staff members perhaps doing seminars featuring your product. Maybe you're handing out tech reports or know-how literature to people about various fishing techniques and how to use them. You coordinate sales with a retailer, so he's actually selling the products at the show at a special price. So, so that you know, you got to do all those things, all that activation, and that's where you really gain and can make a difference in your business. And so I'm way tied into that. And maybe there's opportunities out there for me to me to do some of that for for a company or two, you know. And so we'll see, we'll see what the future holds. Um, I'm in no rush. I want to take a little time off, cleanse myself, you know, <laughs> let the dust settle, if you will. <laughs> yeah. And go fishing. Yeah. And go fishing. You know, yeah. Buzz, I, I will tell you, it's been an honor. Uh, you know, we've been buddies for a long time and I, I promise you it won't be long. Uh, you're going to get that phone call because we're going to come back out and, and, uh, we got to get in the boat with you and do another episode. Please, uh, please, uh, yeah, please. Yeah. Jim please. loved it so much. An uh, episode of Steel's Reel in the Outdoors. And, and, you know, what you've done for the sport is, is amazing. Uh, you, you should be proud. I am sure you are. Um, the, the, the companies you've worked for, uh, they've all benefited tremendously. And, and there's a lot of companies that I know of right now that, um, if they just heard those last few paragraphs that you, the, the, your little last little bit of dialogue, there's so much that can be taken from that. You know, everything is, is gone new school. And I think a little bit of old school, uh, injected into marketing and advertising could really really go a long way and you're you're a you're a, a legend uh freshwater fishing hall of famer uh your wealth of knowledge and you're my buddy man and i'm just uh i'm i'm, I'm proud to, to have fished with you and i look forward to doing it again well me too joe i i uh, i had we all had a lot of fun at the when we did the show down there at the mouth of the columbia river for the big fall run of salmon coming back so um, hopefully we can do something like that again. <laughs> you got it. Well, you know, all it takes is a phone call when things that when they start snapping again, just remember Jim and I, uh, have camera will travel <laughs> <laughs> now more than ever. We okay. are ready. All right, Buzz. Buzz thank you right, so, thank so you. much. Thank what you. an honor. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. Yep. Have, have a great day. Bye. Bye. Yep. You too. Joe, I don't know about you, but when we started Steel's Real Life, this podcast, this is sort of what I envisioned, talking to legends like like Buzz Ramsey. I mean, the stories, the the, the places he, he's been, it, it's incredible. I love this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I could sit literally for hours and talk to Buzz and just about every one of our guests and just to, to be able to listen to where they came from and the contribution that they've made into the outdoors. And more than anything, what this show is really about is their love for the outdoors. And I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what Buzz's next chapter is going to be. And I promise you, I wasn't kidding him. We're going to be in the boat with him before too long. Well, I can't wait. But since I have to run the camera, we want to build in an extra day so I can get in a little fishing. How's that sound? I think we need to do that. Or not. <laughs> <laughs>
Thanks for listening to Steel's Real Life with Joe Thomas. Steel's Real Life is a presentation of Real Outdoors TV. All rights reserved.